another episode of the anarchist experience episode 333 aka year seven week 31 coming at you this week as always i'm your host mr richie rich along with mc and we are on clubhouse again and for the foreseeable future uh scheduling permitted so you can join us there uh the anarchist experience is the name of the club and if you'd like to follow me at riches for rich r-i-c-h-e-s the number four r-i-c-h and that way I can hit the little notification thing to get you in when we do these live broadcasts of the and Anarchist I just, Experience. I just joined the Anarchist Experience on Clubhouse. So I'm, I'm in the club now. That seems wrong. Like, how could you not have been in the club before? You I, I don't know. You should have been. You had to have been invited. Like, I don't know what notification you got, my friend. But I'm pretty sure I made you admin of this thing, like when I first Oh, okay. It. So, well, maybe I was admin, but um, it just asked me to, uh, you know, join this particular club. So, anyway, okay, I th- I'm I th- now in it. I think they d- they did away with uh, like the following thing, and now there's just club members. So right. that that okay. might be what happened. Like everyone is now everyone who joined or followed yeah. it is now listed as a member instead. So I don't have anything next to my name. Yours says admin, mine says nothing, and then people below that same member <laughs> well that is some bs i'm mine has i looked man i have you as admin i'm going to call this a glitch or yeah, a bug yeah. in the clubhouse uh, framework but you're you, you have been in the club from the very beginning when there when what? there was only can, two of us in the club you were the second I can add members yeah that, that means you're admin yeah yeah mm. members can't add members and leaders can't add members i'm pretty sure mm. so i don't know is it just mc bowler yeah. At MC Bowler and follow MC as well then. And then you can, he has admin privileges to get you into the club, but he is definitely right in there. Like again, I when when there was only one, twas me. And then when there was two, twas you. So there's no way you just joined the club. Uh, again, unless it's a glitch or something going on with clubhouse. So you were out of town last week doing libertarian shit in South America. That might've been fun, but you missed all the nasty, dirty, low-down, uh, pro-peace things like going on in Afghanistan. It's a weird way to frame it, but that's the way I'm going to do it. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, okay. Hear me out then. If you know, uh, Joe Biden pulled out U.S. troops from Afghanistan, and Afghanistan erupted into civil war. Right with the Taliban basically going like, "Okay, it's ours now. Peace." And the U.S. going. We are not going to intervene any further. Um, and even though they kind of reneged on the sending troops back in or sending uh, uh, evacuation helicopters to get people out, they, they kind of did that. But, you know, they've, as far as I know, the most updated information is the U.S. is out, right? Mm-hmm. Now, that seems like the most libertarian thing to do is just cut your losses, you know, sunk cost fallacy being what it is and just get out. Right. And if, if we were, if we were critiquing presidents on like being the most peaceful anti-war presidents, removing troops from a conflict and bringing them home seems to be at the, you know, quite up there is at, at the top of that list. So is this not a peace move? on Biden's part? Am I missing something with that action? Should I be vitriolic just because he's Joe Biden? Sure. Because everybody likes to hate people. Um, so you know, one obvious criticism would be like, oh, he didn't do it exactly the right way. Um, he could have done it so much more smoothly. And and to that, I respond, I actually don't know. Um, now, for the last 10 years, probably, there was uh, uh, 
maybe more peace than there should have been. Maybe it was because we were continually bombing them. Um, but How there was actually, but there was actually a um, a ceasefire agreement between uh, the U.S. and Afghanistan. <clears throat> so um, they were basically allowed to exist as long as they don't uh, start shit. Um, and we were actually even. Uh, the U.S. was making money off of their uh, poppy uh, production. So um, there's that. <laughs> so there was this, uh, uh, you know, ceasefire that, that was happening between Afghanistan and the U.S. So that means there was some negotiation. So perhaps, I'm not saying definitely, I, like I said, I don't know. Maybe Biden could have negotiated for a more smooth transition of power. Now, that would be obviously politically harmful to Biden to uh, negotiate with the enemy. Um, so maybe this is negotiating the with is, are you talking about like negotiating with Taliban leadership or sure. the, the puppet Afghan government that was quickly overthrown? No, the Afghan government didn't matter. Okay. So yeah, the, the Taliban leadership that we had a ceasefire with. Go on. So that's it. Yeah. Negotiate with them for a more smooth transition of power. Um, maybe even throw in something like, um, uh, you know, um, you know, let women, um, operate without, uh, you know, let w- women work in the workforce, drive cars. I don't know. Maybe they could have thrown some stuff in just to see if they would do it. And then said, well, you know, if, if you don't do these things, we'll come back and you make it some you know okay. threat or whatever. Maybe he, he could have done that. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying we should, but, um, all I'm saying is that the withdrawal was chaotic maybe it was more chaotic than it should have been uh maybe it happened exactly the way it should have been i don't know okay i i hear what you're saying and the only reason i may want to disagree with that is because he may have had a ceasefire with the taliban but they were not like they are not the government of afghanistan at the time right like there was there was an installed democratic leadership of afghanistan that was protected by the u.s and then the U.S. was defending that government against the Taliban, mm-hmm. right? So, so if you start, um, if you start negotiating, saying, go ahead. All I'm saying is that there was a negotiation, whether you know it was backed by uh, bombs or not. Um, but but you can't negotiate with them for a transfer of power. Why? Because they're not, they're not the government yet. Like they. They it doesn't matter if they're the government. They, okay. They've got their powerful group of people with guns, and they're pretty organized. Okay. So you're saying the, the government that the United States was protecting in Afghanistan, you would just like say, like, sorry, guys, we have to get out of here. We're going to negotiate with these guys on how they can peacefully <laughs> take over your country. Like I said, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds ridiculous. but uh, It does sound ridiculous. Yep, yep. Um. As but, far as far as political strategies go, that seems a little ridiculous. Well, it de- it depends if if you if you if you care at all. Like, um, obviously, we set Afghanistan up for failure. Obviously. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, other than that, um, I don't know. Not maybe not lie, and and say that Afghanistan's you know military is is up to the task of fighting the Taliban, which they clearly weren't. And somebody had to know, you know, <laughs> no, I'm pretty. Okay. So again, in, 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 even though they're incoherent speeches, right. Joe Biden, basically like his, I don't know the quote, but his point was basically, um, we're no longer committing American troops to fight an Afghan civil war. If the Afghan people, you know, the, the non-Taliban Afghan people aren't willing to step up and fight for their own country. Like he was aware that after 20 years of fighting that their soldiers, their troops, their military yeah. was not so going to cut it. The only problem with that is that we weren't fighting them. We weren't going after them. The reason we weren't going after them is because peace was much more preferable to fighting the Taliban. And that's what I'm saying. There was, there was a negotiation, okay. whether or not people knew it. And part of the lie was that, oh, as long as we're there, everything is fine. There's you know, relatively uh, a lot of peace and well, prosperity and, and that doesn't yeah. seem like a lie. That's, that seems well, like, that seems like we would have to have been there forever to true. maintain that level of peace. True. And there's I don't only peace. There's only peace because we were there. 
And the, the lie was, is that uh, we've, we're, we're putting all this money into Afghanistan to make the Afghanistan government resilient against the Taliban. Okay. And that, that was a lie. The lie. That was in, clearly in, a lie. Yes. What we're actually doing is transferring a whole bunch of money to the uh, industrial, military industrial complex and the uh, elites that are in charge of that. Right. So when, when, when libertarians in the past have said it's not that difficult, you just bring the troops home, right? Like, how, how do you bring the troops home? You, you put them on a plane, you bring them home. Like, right. Those were talking points for libertarians, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just several years ago, right? And so, so Biden puts the troops on a plane and brings the troops home. And they're like, oh, my gosh, how can you possibly <laughs> do that? That is not the way to end the war. Seems contradictory to me. And I want, again, I want to know. Okay. And I'm not even saying he shouldn't do it. I'm just saying there's some people that would say he, he probably could have done it a better way. And, you know, hindsight is always 2020, but, um. (laughs) but, but, but we also, if we have to make a concession then that the most peaceful way, uh, to, to maintain peace in Afghanistan is to have an indefinite military presence with, uh, with, with peace negotiations with the Taliban. Right. Mm-hmm. That's that is uh, the evidence is clear that that has what worked for mm-hmm. peace in Afghanistan. And the minute you disrupt that status quo, the entire country breaks into chaos. And I have difficulty supporting a position where an indefinite military intervention is the answer or the solution as an anarchist, as a libertarian from that perspective. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> So, uh, so I mean, so to me, the, the most libertarian thing um, that that any president could have done is what Joe Biden did, right? And if you go to the uh, the old like Ron Paul lines of non-intervention, right? What do we care if a foreign country is in the midst of a civil war, right? Not my circus, not my monkeys. We're out, and that's the end of it. I lost my power to mute people. Oh my goodness! Well, she, she was she put her hand up to speak. So if you've got something to say, Em, go ahead and add your thoughts. Otherwise, we're going to mute you because we're getting some noise coming from your microphone. I just had a quick question because I was watching the movie Charlie Wilson's War. Have you guys ever seen that? I may have seen it. I don't recall the plot it, line. It's about how we got into Afghanistan in the first place. Okay. And I'm not, I don't know if I'm remembering it correctly because the movie was long, but basically we went in and it was because of some senator on an appropriations committee found the funding through a back door and started throwing money because the Russians had invaded Afghanistan. And the movie ends where they were successful in defeating the Russians because we gave them weapons and everything. But the CIA operative in charge of the mission said, hey, now we need to go in and build like infrastructure and educate because you left all these kids without like a generation of parents and everyone's in disarray and all this other stuff. And then um, I guess America didn't want to spend any more money on it. So I was just kind of curious if you had any thoughts about that. About how we got into Afghanistan? Like- well... I don't understand the question. Can you can you ask a specific no, question? I think what she's okay. saying is there's a lot of history there, and well, there absolutely is. Yeah, some of it we're responsible for. Okay. Yeah, and, like, or how responsible are like? Do we shoot ourselves in the foot by not doing that? And like, is there a way for me to mute myself so when I'm not talking, I'm not creating static? Uh, if you have, a, if you can mute your microphone, just mute the microphone directly. Otherwise, we'll put you back. There you go. That worked. She found the button. Found the button. Um, you want to take this MC? Cause I, I have some thoughts, but you can, you can, if you have more thoughts or better thoughts. Um, no, I don't have too much thoughts about it, but like okay. I said, there's, there's, uh, there's, uh, un- unforeseen consequences always when you get involved in something. Um, if, if we didn't get involved in the, the, uh, the Russian, um, invasion of Afghanistan, would, would that mean the Taliban would eventually be wiped out? Possibly. And, but then you'd have you know, you'd have a Russian run Afghanistan, and who knows what that would be look looked like. Sure. So, 
I hear what you're saying, and I find it difficult that the decisions of those past, right, obligates future generations to maintain a military conflict, right? Like, if, if, you're, if you want to go down the road of make goods and reparations, there has to be a cap on that. There has to be an end to that. There has to be a deadline for how long you enact those things, right? And again, from the, from the anarchist, from the libertarian perspective, um, peaceful trade with all and conflicts with none is the goal, right? And to have a indefinite military conflict where you're basically, you've invaded another country and you're staying there forever does not seem like the best thing to do from an anarchist slash libertarian perspective, right? It's, you can cut your losses, the military losses, like, yes, we screwed up then, but the the price is not, you know, uh, indefinite occupation of a foreign land. It's what Joe Biden did. That's just get the hell out of there. And we're no longer going to commit troops. Um, Now, I will say this, for the refugees, right, for the, the, the Afghan individuals, people who don't want to exist in Afghanistan under Taliban rule, right, they're, they're, they should be free to leave uh, and come here as they are able, right? I'm, I am also in favor of a, a wide open, open borders, you know, migration, immigration policy where if they want to come here and work and make a better lives for themselves, sure, door is wide open. Um, does that mean they can come and get on American welfare? Absolutely not. Cause I would end the welfare state as well. So if you exist, if you exist in a world where, uh, borders are open and people are free to travel as they were, then those who are stuck in Afghanistan can do what they need to do to get out. Um, and the Taliban can rule over those who want to be ruled by the Taliban. Um, but to, to, to commit militarily to it indefinitely is like the most anti-libertarian thing you can probably think of uh, when it comes to, you know, this conflict, despite what has happened in the past. Like, again, it, it can't go on forever. If, if you want to negotiate a deadline, fine. Uh, I'm pretty sure Trump did that, and it was supposed to have been May, right? Like, this is it. Hard deadline. You've had enough support. You had 20 years of military support from the United States. And we're out, you know, and then and, and you got to just pull the plug. You got to get out. So how we got in to me um, is irrelevant as opposed to, you know, what the best course of action is from here, right? Like we, we start where we're at, not where we would have liked to have been. And from here with the puppet Afghan government and the puppet Afghan military not willing to defend against the Taliban, um, then sure, if you want to negotiate with the Taliban, Seems like a weird thing, but by all means, do it for a peaceful transition of power. But then you're out, and uh, Afghan falls to whomever wants to rule that area. Um, and from from uh, from an international perspective, right? From a non-interventionist perspective, the United States has no business going back in for anything, right? If if, if all the Americans are out, and that's just another like North Korea on the map, you don't go there. They don't want you there. Stay the hell out of their country or face the consequences when you go in, uh, by all means, right? Ha- have at it. Um, but it's, n- it's no longer uh, a military problem for the United States, nor should it have ever been. And I think the, the, the talking points for libertarians should be in support of this because it's what we have always called for when it comes to military conflicts. You want to bring the troops home, just bring the troops home, right? Will there be consequences to doing that? Sure. Um, but bringing the troops home and letting those, those c- countries whom the troops have invaded uh, figure it out for themselves seems like a better proposition than an indefinite military conflict. And I hope that answers your question. It does. Shall we move on? Sure. All right, I have a headline. We're going to do this headline first because it ties in uh, with this Taliban Afghanistan topic. And that's the other, the other amazing thing uh, 
about this uh, uh, Taliban takeover and U.S. military withdrawal. Now, you can harp on the U.S. military for this, right? This was obviously not the way to do this, right, is bring the troops home and leave all the weapons and gear behind. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, bad idea, perhaps. Um, and so this headline, the Taliban got their hands on American military gear, not, uh, no, excuse me. The Taliban got their hands on American military gear because we invaded Afghanistan, not because we withdrew. And I'm going to say the we is in quotes. This article is from Reason. I don't throw myself into that we category. The U.S. military invaded. I never invaded Afghanistan. Never even think about going to that country. Into the article. When a group of Taliban fighters stormed the hastily abandoned presidential palace in Kabul, Afghanistan earlier this week, they carried a powerful symbol of the changing times. American-issued M16 and M4 rifles. It's not just a propaganda coup. As the Taliban swept into full control of Afghanistan this week, they also claimed a cornucopia of military gear, equipment, and weapons that had been supplied to the Afghan government by the United States. Uh, I'll also interject here for a moment. Uh, they also got uh, uh, ha their hands on like the helicopters, right? And the, and the flying thingies. And then promptly crashed them <laughs> because they don't know how to fly them. They're not properly trained by the CIA for that stuff. Back to the article. There's no way to determine how much American military, military gear has ended up in the hands of Taliban fighters, but the quote-unquote current intelligent assessment was that the Taliban are believed to control more than 2,000 armored vehicles, including U.S. Humvees, and up to 40 aircrafts, potentially including UH-60 Blackhawks, scout attack helicopters, and Scan Eagle military drones, uh, unquote. Reuters reported on Thursday, citing an unnamed U.S. official. The aircraft and drones are probably useless without training and support staff, but the Humvees and small arms are exactly the sort of thing that a new regime could use to impose its will on the people of Afghanistan. After nearly 20 years of fighting, the Taliban that America is leaving behind is almost certainly better supplied than when the U.S. military invaded in October of 2001. During the occupation, the U.S. transferred more than 600,000 guns, including those M16s and M4 rifles, 76,000 vehicles, and 162,000 pieces of communication equipment to the Afghan security forces, according to a 2017 Government Accountability Office report, uh, and the report seems to be deleted from the GAO website. Since those figures are several years old, the actual totals are almost certainly higher. We don't have a complete picture, obviously, of where every article of defense material has gone, Jack Sullivan, the White House's national security advisor, said Tuesday. But certainly, a fair amount of it has fallen into the hands of the Taliban. And obviously, we don't have a sense that they are going to readily hand it, hand it over to us at the airport. Be careful not to draw unrealistic conclusions about all this. After nearly 20 years of war in Afghanistan... There's no scenario in which the U.S. military wouldn't leave tons of weaponry and other gear behind. Despite what former President Donald Trump suggested in a statement this week, rolling up a long military occupation of a foreign country is not as simple as bringing out all the equipment and then you bomb the base into smithereens. It's not that simple because a lot of American military gear was already in Taliban hands before the collapse of the American-backed Afghan military. A 2016 Pentagon audit found that poor record-keeping was to blame for more than $1 billion in small arms that went missing during the occupation of Iraq, Iraq and Afghanistan. Many of the Western weapons and equipment distributed like candy to battlefield partners in Iraq and Afghanistan since the start of the global war on terror have wound up in the hands of terrorists Regardless of oversight efforts, military blog Task and Report concluded in 2017 after reviewing the Pentagon audit. A lot more American military gear would have fallen into Taliban hands, even if the Afghan military and government had managed to hold on for a few more weeks or months, as the Biden administration seemed to expect it would. 
Indeed, after America's more orderly first withdrawal from Iraq in 2011, there were numerous reports of Islamic, Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, ISIS, militia driving around in American vehicles and using U.S.-issued ammunition, including mortar shells and M16 rifles like the ones the Taliban are now showing off. A 2015 report from Amnesty International concluded that most of the weapons used by ISIS militias were drawn from stockpiles captured from the U.S. allied Iraqi military and Syrian rebels armed by the U.S. and its allies. War is messy. Nation building is complicated, bordering on the impossible. Cleaning up after a decades-long occupation is out of the question. So the only way to prevent this kind of thing from happening again is not to invade in the first place. End of the article. Uh, so your thoughts, MC, on the cornucopia, as they put it, uh, cache of weapons and gear that was left behind for the, for, I'm going to call them terrorists because I can. Um, yeah, that sucks. <laughs> or, for them. Or, or should I call them the, the newly, uh, newly formed uh, official government of Afghanistan since they got it now? Yep, I'm... I don't have any thoughts about that right now. Can we recognize them as the official Afghan government? I mean, they took it over. I, I don't want to say legitimately, but as it, as any government has taken over their plot of land in, in previous history, right? They, they won a military conflict. They repelled the invaders. They claimed it to be theirs, and they're now defending it. Yeah. Um, I'm The one thing I'm curious about... Um, before uh, the Taliban succeeded, was was it a policy of the U.S. to uh, restrict the civilian population from purchasing guns? Because I would think if you're going to uh, produce a a, da- a nation that is capable of pre- uh, defending itself against the Taliban, that you'd basically want everybody to have guns. Because... If everybody's walking around with guns, they're going to be less afraid of the Taliban. And so it seems like civilian population was disarmed. The government was given the guns. And that's why the, the, the whole thing failed because, well, the government actually didn't care. <laughs> so I don't, I know there were headlines and there were articles about this. I don't know the exact policy that you're looking for or what, what the official thing was, but I want to say what you may be looking at is a cultural difference between Americans and Afghans because the headlines, uh, I, I don't have for show prep, but the headlines read, uh, Taliban begins door-to-door search and collection of civilian weapons, uh, telling the people that they don't need them anymore. It's now safe for them under Taliban rule. Okay. So there they had weapons, right? And they went Well, some did, yeah. Some did, right? But just just like it can't happen here, right? Right. <laughs> the gover- the newly formed government by the Taliban immediately seized what they could. Right. You know, and for for those Afghans, right? That was the time to fight back. If you were going to have, you know, if, if you were going to have a civilian battle between, you know, uh, uh, citizens or residents of Afghanistan and their newly formed Taliban government, like that was it. They went around and they collected the weapons that you had either cached or stockpiled or whatever. And those individuals, those citizens no longer have the means to, to put up an armed defense. Yeah. Should the Taliban become corrupt or despotic? It's not theft if the government does it, right? Well, the, t- <laughs> the Taliban would definitely claim that. Uh, it's 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 an interesting comparison to what you know what the what the left, the liberals, and the Democrats are trying to do here, um, which is you know bec- because the United States has some constitutional protections, and because the gun culture. Um, and you know the the history of America is citizens fighting back against despotic governments. It's a little bit more difficult to accomplish that task here. Um, and I am not naive. 
to think that that would not be the goal if they could get away with it, right? Joe Biden wants the guns. Kamala Harris wants the guns. Um, Dianne Feinstein and, and uh, uh, who's the, the House Speaker, Nancy Pelosi, like they want the guns, but they have a more difficult road to getting it because of the cultural difference. Like they cannot roll the police through the neighborhood going door to door to collect the guns. Maybe, right? Given the right crisis, and they absolutely will do that because they did it during Katrina and there was no pushback there either. But they slowly chip away at gun rights uh, until it's too late to fight back. Um, you know, Joe Biden was recently on record saying, like, you can't beat the U.S. military unless you have, like, nuclear weapons and F-15 bombers and whatever. Uh, and you could make a case that they didn't use that against the Taliban. Um, so he may, it still might be valid in some form or fashion. Uh, but, but you had dudes with old guns and pickup trucks and they now run the country. So there's something to be said about certain types of firearms and their ability to repel invaders and their ability to control a population. Um, that is quite evident in the, with this new example of how easy it was for armed people to take over the country um, and how quickly they can disarm the citizens when that's what needs to be done for them to maintain their control, right? Uh, f- you know, for, for two decades, um, the, the private ownership of firearms in Afghanistan, whatever level that may have been, was subsidized by U.S. military involvement, right? Like you can own your guns, but you don't have to use them against the government because the U.S. military is there to protect, and if you're going to fight back against anybody at that time, it would you know the government would have been the U.S. military. And then when it's time to use those guns, you're either untrained, unprepared, or unwilling, uh, because just like they do raids here, man, when when the Taliban comes knocking at your door to collect your firearms, it's you, and then a handful of them, right? Like that's that is not the time uh, to win a gunfight. However, if you knew that was coming and you could gather with your neighbors and, you know, put up a defense, well, then maybe you had a chance. Um, but the, the, those that will oppress you, regardless of where you're at, will always seek out the numbers advantage before they try to do those things. And so it's best to, you know, be around those willing to fight back or capable of fighting back if and when that does happen. Um, so to your question, MC, like, I don't, what, what the private gun ownership was, they had them. And now they don't, and now it's too late. For the for the for for those that wanted them, too late. Uh, for the women stuck there, kind of sad. Uh, but at the same time, do I do I want? Would I support uh, another introduction of military conflict by the United States in order to liberate oppressed uh, women in Afghanistan? Probably not. I'd be you know I'd be hard pressed to advocate that no matter how compassionate I felt at the moment. So I just, I Googled it. It says the overwhelming majority of modern small arms outside of the Afghan government control are technically illegal without special permit issued by the ministry of interior. Okay. Private security guards can legally carry arms. So then they probably had a list and they probably went with that list, right? Of the, of of those people with permissions and collected it. And illegal or not, they, they had them. They just, you know, they were being collected fairly quickly. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to contrast this to uh, how easily would the Taliban be successful in, let's say, if they tried to invade Texas. They wouldn't. Like, they not a chance. Go door to door in Texas, please. Yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, the, 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 the minute you see them knocking on your neighbor's door, you're at your other neighbor's house, like, you know, bunkering down for a battle. That's the way it has to be, right? Like, um, I've, I've said, strategically, I've said this before, in the United States, at some point, when the cops try to come for your guns, um, it will be important to not fight them one on five, right? So you may lose your gun in the moment, but it is also important to be part of a group, call it a militia, if you want to, where there is a communal armory of some kind where they come for your guns you go fine here they are 
but then you immediately like hit the button to round up the troops, go rearm yourself, and then you know it's time to fight. Like that's when it's time to fight. If the, if that happens, it's time to fight. But you have to be strategic about it. If you're not strategic about it, you either get shot five on one or one on five, right where they where they outnumber you, and then it doesn't matter. They're going to take your guns anyway, or they're going to take your guns and then move on to the next house one on five. Um, and they're going to take that one too. Like, uh, un- unless you're part of a group that has access to enough firearms to fight back, um, you're, you you will always be outnumbered because they won't fight unless they have the numbers. And so strategically, you want to stay alive. You want to be in the fight. Um, you give up what they can get their hands on in the moment, but you immediately, you know, call for backup and and t- and fight back. Like it, ha- it has to be that way. Um, I personally, I'm open to suggestion, but I don't see another way to put up that sort of defense when you're going to clearly be outnumbered at every interaction. Thoughts? Nope. All right. Shall we move on? Did we talk about Afghanistan enough? Do you have any more thoughts on the Afghan conflict as well? It's what, what a mess. Uh, but at the same time, um, how interesting it is all the way around. Yeah, no, I think so many people are talking about it that uh, you know, all, all relevant opinions have probably been expressed. Sure. All right, let's do this one then. Uh, actually, I'll read through the rest of the headlines and I'll let you, I'll let you pick. See what see what your where your thoughts land. Uh, headline: Free society dwindles as permission requirements grow. Uh, headline: Civil disobedience needs to be enacted against the criminal and treasonous Biden administration. Uh, here's one out of Hawaii. Uh, Hawaii Lieutenant Governor says unvaccinated people may cause a lockdown. Uh, headline, DEA seizes life savings of New Orleans grandfather without charging him with a crime. Uh, headline, narcissistic sheriff took $75,000 from taxpayers to make a bronze statue of himself. Uh, headline, staff at Democratic Socialist Magazine claimed they were fired for trying to start a worker co-op. And finally, uh, headline, American lies, destroys, breaks promises, and then run. And that's also, that kind of ties into the Afghan thing if you wanted to continue on with that. Otherwise, I'd probably leave that one to the back. All right, you pick. Oh, okay. Let's do this one then. Civil disobedience needs to be enacted against the criminal and treasonous Biden administration. It took nearly... 250 years, but Benedict Arnold has assumed control of the White House. The modern-day version of Benedict Arnold, sippy cup, Joe Biden, is on a single mission as the stolen presidency communist-in-chief, and that mission is to destroy America on behalf of the Chinese who are blackmailing the Biden crime family. Ultimately, he is serving the globalist interest by destroying the last bastion of freedom. A state of treason exists between the illegal occupier of the White House and the American people. Biden and his administration have declared war on the American people, the American military, and the Constitution of the United States. Biden's corporate minions are forcing you to take dangerous vaccines, unproven vaccines, while suppressing any other type of alternative medical treatment because it doesn't benefit big pharma. Meanwhile, he's allowing over 100,000 illegal immigrants into the country who are COVID positive and distributing them around the country so they can spread the virus. This is a direct act of war against the American people. This is an impeachable offense. Unfortunately, the Republican Party is missing in action. Recently, 18 Republican senators betrayed the American people by voting for a budget-busting hyperinflation bill that will cause be causing collapse of the dollar by voting for the $3.5 trillion pork-laden New Green Deal another related and other related payoffs to Democratic donors. Even Biden's $200 billion payoff to the National Education Association is an act of treason. Why? Because it's promoting violence and civil unrest through its Hitler youth style of education through critical race theory and the discredited 1619 project. The National Education Association is controlled by the United Nations. Specifically, the National Education Association is controlled by UNESCO, 
and our children are the targets of this Marxist communist nation dividing philosophy. This is unto itself is an act of treason by Joe Biden. Even the soccer moms who voted against Trump are waking up to the tyranny of this administration because they recognize that their children are at risk. And this is only the tip of the iceberg. Below, I am offering a small sample of the treason that is being promulgated by the Biden administration. I am calling on all Americans to do the following. Number one, remove their children from all public schools that promote critical race theory and the 1619 Project. Either homeschool America's children or enroll them in charter schools that honor America and her traditions. Number two, any business corporation or of other private entity that promotes vaccine passports be boycotted. Refuse to do business with these businesses, uh, Walmart, Ticketmaster, etc. Number three, Americans need to recognize that China is an enemy of the American people. In his now famous speech to the CCP Defense Minister Wei Fengshui, uh, promoted genocide of every American and the occupation of the United States. Chinese generals have threatened to nuke the United States on several occasions. They have threatened to sink U.S. naval vessels traveling through international waters in the South China Sea. China has actively supported our enemies, the Taliban in Afghanistan. China is our enemy, and anyone doing business with China who holds an elected office is a traitor to this country. George Soros and his many subversive and communist organizations are an ally of communist China against the United States. Soros is buying off key politicians in an effort to subvert American elections. For example, it is well known that the Soros supports Arizona Secretary of State Katie Hobbs and Maricopa County Sheriff Paul Penzone. In effect, Soros is an agent of China that is working against the interests of the people. The Maricopa County Board of Supervisor Chairman Jack Sellers, who refuses to surrender court-ordered election materials for the audit investigation, has deep business ties to communist China. Arizona Governor's Doug Ducey has deep ties and commitments to communist China, and that was in evidence when he refused to allow the Arizona State Senate to meet in special session to investigate the 2020 stolen election. This microcosm of treason, corruption, and blatant betrayal of the public trust is in evidence uh, in every county in America. People in every county need to uh, FOIA, the, the, that's Freedom of Information Act, the campaign contrib uh, contributors for their local offices. Every city and county has a Doug Ducey, Jack Sellers, and Paul Penzone. Many of our local officials are being bought off by the thousands. For example, what is true in Maricopa County is also true in Fulton County, Georgia, the entire state of California, the entire state of Wisconsin, etc. In addition to examining campaign contributions in every community must look at election officials' financial disclosures, which are online. They will reveal business dealings with Chinese shell corporations and Soros proxy organizations. We already know, for example, that many school board members are being offered golden parachutes to betray their community and introduce Hitler youth curriculum to our school children. America has been betrayed by, not by few, not a few elected officials, but by thousands of officials. If you do not want your children to live under the worst of the Bolshevik communism, you must act now. We, when we turn America upside down, America will be absolutely shocked at how far this treason has permeated this country. Number four, do not allow yourself to re, be removed to isolation camps. I choose death in my driveway as opposed to the fate that would await me in the camps as discussed in CDC HHS, and UN documents. Many of my colleagues are in the process of exposing the property seizing and medical martial law uh, policies printed on the CDC website. What is not being covered in the alt media is that elderly people, particularly those with chronic health conditions, will be removed from their homes and placed in so-called isolation camps. Further related UN documents state that when treatment for these elderly citizens exceed the capacity of resources, these people will be transitioned out and provided with comfort care. Can you say this is a fancy way of saying genocide? In America, I have discovered three uh, in excuse me, in Arizona, I've discovered three counties that are moving in this direction and causing medical service shortfalls. And this will be covered in a future article. In fact, in a recent radio interview, a supervisor in Federal Leo said he would not comment on the so-called FEMA camps. When I pressed him, he mentioned medical martial law. This brings into play HHS ESF number 8-14. Both Celeste Salome and myself have covered the ESF documents in detail. I will be reviewing these documents in a future article. 
These are medical martial law camps without one participating medical organization. One can only conclude that these are genocidal factories and one day more than the elderly will be dealt with. By any means possible, do not allow yourself to be relocated. To all the landlords, number five, to all the landlords who have had your property illegally seized by the CDC, turn the utilities off to your home. This includes trash pickup or any other maintenance service to the property. Refuse to make the payments. Your tenants have had 18 months to adjust, adapt, and find employment. You have suffered enough. If you think this is harsh, please note that there are more jobs available than there are unemployed people. Number six, I am calling for a civil disobedience, total civil disobedience against the Biden administration. When lockdown 2.0 is initiated and it will be kept in place until all are vaccinated, refuse to shut down your business. All people need to continue to patronize businesses ordered to be shut down. Please let remind you uh, that as I pointed out in April and May of 2020, the PCR test never received third-party validation. That means there was never a test. In fact, two weeks ago, the FDA declared the test to be null and void because it was identifying all viruses as COVID in the system. Now we have the infamous and so-called Delta variant that will be used as the excuse for the coming lockdowns. But what test is the Delta variant? By what test is the Delta variant being measured? There is no test. The PCR test was the only diagnostic test that was in use. It was never validated, and there's no test today to measure this phenomenon. This is all a fraud. Take off your mask. Take your children out of the schools that insist on health-destroying policies. Most of all, refuse to obey the unconstitutional orders of the Biden administration. We are just getting started. The assault upon America is an all-encompassing as evidenced by the following events which speak to treason from Biden administration and indifference to the welfare of the American people. Look at the following summary of the DHS declaration what constitutes being labeled as domestic terrorists. This incorporates an estimated 180 to 200 million Americans who are now declared to be enemies of the state. This is treason of the highest order against the republic. Uh, and there's some uh, pictures and links in the article. Here's another example of why Biden uh, abandoned our Afghan allies. He betrayed America and our allies on behalf of Shaikhan profiteering. Not only did Biden betray our allies in Afghanistan, he is leaving Americans behind in his withdrawal. It does not take, uh, it, it does not take must, most imagination to, discuss, to guess what's going to happen to Americans who are being left behind in Kabul. Finally, I will not submit Americans from all backgrounds need to lock arms and resist this Bolshevik takeover and the accompanying treason with absolute defiance. Unelect every incumbent, save a precious few, and go about the business of working towards the incarceration of the Biden crime family and all of their allies. End of the article. So, hyperbolic, vitriolic, guaranteed, um, but are there nuggets of truth that can be withdrawn from this article to be used in your personal life. Probably. It was kind of all over the place though. So <laughs> well, I mean, he had a numbered list, man, get the children out of public school, <laughs> boycott corporations, stop dealing with China. Uh, number, number four and five, I think is, are the, the um, four or five and six, I guess the last three are the, the highlights for me, right? Like number four was don't allow yourself to be removed. Right. Um, when the when the lockdowns first started last year, um, there were talks of these things. And I had a a friend, maybe a couple where like they now drew their line in the sand. Right. Like they they, they said, if they come to stick me with a needle. Right. If, if the if vaccine becomes the mandate, uh, that is when I shoot back. Right. Like, cool. And. You know, for for now, that's not happening, at least here in New Hampshire. So we're not at war yet. Um, but that that was the line in the sand for a handful of people, right? Lockdown, I can get around that. You know, um, underground economies using cryptocurrencies and gold backs and, and what have you. Um, you know, civil disobedience. Uh, we had the, the New Year's Eve dance party in the middle of a lockdown with you know, dozens of people, maybe, I don't want to say hundreds, but there was a lot of people um, at an undisclosed location, right? When we were, we were all supposed to be still isolated at home, uh, you know, nine months into the two week lockdown at that point. Um, but God damn it, if you come to jab me with the needle and, you know, and make a medical decision on my behalf, that's where, that's where we're going to fight. Um, 
So, you know, if, if, if that's your line, fine. If that's not your line, where is your line? Um, that's a question I used to ask people when I was in the habit of, of arguing with people in person and online is like, you have to have a line somewhere. Where is your line? What is your line? And what are you prepared to do uh, once you reach it? And a lot of people, particularly like family members, don't have a line, right? They will, they will continue to comply their way to old age and, you know, a, a, a sudden death at the hands of, uh, of the state should have come to that, right? Like, I don't know, if, if, if their line is not like, ah, we're going to put you in a camp and, you know, all your rights are gone, uh, I don't know where your line could be. But it, it's quickly downhill from there. Um, number five, to, to the land, you know, the landlords acting civilly disobedient, sure. Right? Again, if the, if the government is controlling your property, right, whose land is it? Who's, whose property is it? If you can't, you know, we, we did an article on um, Free Talk Live where, I don't even know if it was COVID related, but the, the, the headline was basically like, you know, uh, landlord shoots his tenants because uh, he handles his evictions my way. Right? I, I do things in my way. Um, and if the government is telling you that, you know, you have to allow people to occupy your property uh, without compensation and they're not, you know, they're not, there's no justice there. Well, then, yeah, why would, why would you give this, the government any more money? Don't, you know, depending on how you feel about the banks, you know, skip out the loan, don't pay the taxes, don't pay the, the land tax or the, the property tax and be prepared to defend it. Right. Because they're like, well, you can't you, you can't do it. You still must pay us or we're going to take it from you. And the only way that they're going to take it from you is by force. Right. So if, they, if they're already if they're already controlling it, you can just you can give it up if you want to or draw your line in the sand and fight back there. Um, the, the point about the, uh, the unemployment rates, jobs available, uh, job openings surpassing, uh, unemployed individuals. Yeah. Because if you're getting paid to not do anything, why would you ever go back to work? Right. They, (laughs) they've sub, they've subsidized unemployment. Um, and they're calling that a good thing, right? It's like, well, if, if you companies, right, can't pay more than the government, uh, to get people back to work that seems like it's your problem and that you need to pay people a living wage. Um, but where's the government getting the money from, right? They're, they're printing some of it, but it's, you know, it's theft of some kind, either through inflation and lost value of current dollars, uh, or by stealing it through tax to, through taxation. It's not like they're benevolent and just giving it away because they can, they're giving away other people's money. You know, the, the, the business owners like who pay their, who pay their personal taxes, pay their business tax, pay their corporate tax, pay whatever local sales tax and whatever they have to, right? They're they're already paying these people on on these unemployment and welfare programs, right? Now you're saying like, well, you have to pay them more to get them to work. Well, I'm already paying you to stay home, get, get your ass to work, you know. So put up a fight, put up some resistance. Um, and then again, uh, again, number six, the total civil disobedience. I've always been a fan of civil disobedience. I know it's not for everybody. Um, I know that it has to come in waves. Like you, you can't make a life style, uh, on civil disobedience. You have to do yours. Um, you know, take your lumps because that's how it works and then get out of the way. And it's important to have a wave of people behind you, uh, willing to, you know, pick up the torch and carry it further, you know, further down the line. Um, I think I want to say, at least in New Hampshire, there that wave is not as big as it could have been or should have been. Um, like I moved here for the Free State Project, and I remember prior to my move, a lot of the news that I read about the state and what was going on here as far as activism is concerned was very heavy on the civil disobedience side of things. And it may be just the outlets that I followed at the time, but I tried to follow a handful of, you know, different sources. Um, and it doesn't seem like there is a lot of that going on anymore, right? There's, there's protests, there's, you know, uh, sign wavings, um, but there's not a lot of, um, no, we're just going to do what we want and arrest us if you want. Um, the, you know, the, the, the New Year's Eve party was one of them. There was also um, 
a a female in the community that you know during the lockdown just took her kids to the park. And eh, we're going to the park. I don't care if it's locked down. It's a public park. They tax us for the park. We're going to the park. And she was arrested and recently had a trial and she won at the trial. Like, you know, I don't, I don't remember the details of the trial, but that was, that was definitely a noble act of civil disobedience to take your, you know, take your kids to the park in the middle of a lockdown to let them play because that's what's healthy for your children uh, not being cooped up, locked down in a house because the government said so. So good on her for fighting it um, and get, getting arrested or whatever at the time, um, but also coming out victorious on the other end, right? Like that's, that's the type of activity, that's the type of behavior that I like to see, that I've always liked to see, um, that I wish, I wish I had moved here sooner um, to participate, right? Like, uh, you know, when I, when I first made the move here, it's like, eh, I'm not really involved. And it's still the case. I'm not really involved in anything per se, because most of the stuff that's going on is, you know, political in nature or protest in nature. Oh, we're going to go wave signs. You know, we're going, we're going mm-hmm. down, we're going down the courthouse to like do some picketing. Okay. Fucking have fun with that. Um, but at the same time, I, I realized that the, the window for me to be civilly, civilly disobedient is closing for now. And it may have to wait until I'm old and don't give a fuck. Like what, at retirement age, like, you know, the 90-year-old the, the priest who feeds homeless people, even though it's against the law to feed homeless people, like once, once I get, you know, more established uh, in that respect, then yeah, then, then, then maybe the, the civil disobedient bug bites again and I can go out and do that kind of stuff. Um, I just, I don't want to make excuses. I just seem to be at a place in my life at the moment where it's not the wisest thing to do. Um, nor is there enough going on to warrant, uh, my participation in it. If that makes sense. Cool. All right. Um, you know what? We can wrap this up early if you want to, there's only a couple minutes left and I don't know if there's a short enough article. Um, that makes it, you know what? There is one. Let's do this one. Last article headline. Uh, Hawaii Lieutenant Governor says unvaccinated people may cause a lockdown. I'll read this quickly because it's bullshit. Uh, Honolulu Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, who works as an emergency room doctor on Hawaii's Big Island, says a minority of unvaccinated people are pushing the state towards another lockdown. Uh, This came out August 16th, so like four days ago from when we're recording this. I say we are two to four weeks at this rate from seeing major adjustments in what we're able to do, Green said. It's a small minority that otherwise condemning society to a lockdown and potentially large-scale death, Green added. No one wants to close down businesses. No one wants to put in curfews. No one wants to curtail regular life or schools, but we have to keep people alive. Uh, Green said, all ICU beds at the Hilo Hospital are full, more than half with COVID-19 patients. As of Sunday, 58 of the 68 ICU units at Honolulu Queens Hospital were occupied, Hawaii News Now reported. In total, Green said 300 people were hospitalized because of COVID-19, and of those, at least 270 are unvaccinated. Protesters showed up outside Green Condo over the weekend. Uh, quote, I'm probably going to be taking care of them in the hospital with my colleagues because they're going to catch COVID, Green said. Those very individuals are condemning everyone in society to a much larger lockdown. Uh, end of the article. So, yeah, short one. Good. Uh, I want to highlight paragraph three, and I will reread it again. It's a small minority of, of it's a small minority that is otherwise condemning society to a lockdown and potentially a large scale death. And I will add this. Yeah, the fucking people in charge, the government of the of the state, right? They're the ones condemning society to a lockdown. No one else has any control over it. They're the ones who are going to, you know, enforce said lockdowns to enforce said curfews, to curtail the regular life or schools, uh, all in the name of keeping people alive, quote, unquote. Uh, I have a friend on social media uh, who's like posting the Hawaii updates, and it's like 800, 900, 1,000 new cases. But the death count is still at like three or four. So (laughs) I'm like, percentage-wise, man, shut the fuck up. Um, But yeah. Your thoughts, MC? You're you're trying to live through this. Oh, it's it's totally overblown. There's no 
uh, leadership that can put things into perspective. Um, I think it's all about self-importance. They, they think uh, they are responsible and they are the, the ones that are going to, to save us from the, from the, uh, the, the cases that don't kill anybody. You know, it's like, whatever. Yeah. I, I, I that's what I'm saying, man. They, they, they have this, their ego is so big that they think that they can control this, but, and they're, and they're trying to pass off the blame, right? Like they know it's coming because deep down they know it is inevitable that, the, you know, that the virus spreads, um, that the, that the vaccinations may have played a role in the creation of the Delta variant. If you believe in that sort of thing, that it's vaccinated people who are still capable of catching the virus, transmitting the virus anyway, but yet they're going to scapegoat the unvaccinated because it's the uh, politically safest thing to do. Final thoughts? No, thanks. All right, that'll do it for us. Then you guys know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com on Telegram, t.me slash anarchistexperience or t.me slash theanarchistexperience. Again, we do this show live on Clubhouse, so find us there, The Anarchist Experience, or at me, Rich is for Rich, R-I-C-H-E-S, the number four, R-I-C-H. And if you'd like to contribute to this show financially, you can still do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash theanarchistexperience. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Peace.